This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, well, no, he's not joining me today. Pastor Sam is uh, still on vacation this week, so uh, in his place, we have our Director of Student Ministries, Will Bushman, who is on mic. Now, those of you that have been listening to the podcast for some time, you will remember Will. Will and Drew Cherry were uh, our podcast with us quite often back in the day, but Will is more than just one of our token millennials. <laughs> you know, Will's a seminary student. He's a, he's a bright guy. He's also a uh, backs me up on personal worship when I can't do it. This is week four of Life of Peter, and this is Peter's denials of Jesus. And Will did the personal worship study notes for this week. So, Will, welcome back to the podcast. Um, Does it feel good to be back, or are you kind of like, I have no idea what I'm doing here? No, it feels great to be back. I'm glad to sit in for Sam, you know, save you the uh, long talk by yourself, you know, bounce some ideas off of, but excited to be here, especially for Peter. So this is week four of Peter, and this is Peter's denials. There's so many of these things that are so iconic about Peter. You know, we've the walking on water was iconic. The who do you say I am is iconic. There's, there's you know, if I said walking on water, you're like, oh, yeah, Peter. You know, who do you say I am? Oh, yeah, Peter. Denials. Oh, yeah, Peter. It's like Peter seems to be the the central point of so many of these stories. He's the bold guy. He's the guy that always answers. He's the guy that always jumps in. Um, I've been saying over the, the last couple of weeks of the podcast that I had this feeling that Peter was probably the guy who was always in charge. You know, he, I called it full on dad mode that he was like, Hey, you know, I'm the guy that has to make sure everything goes well for everybody. I have to make sure that it all runs smoothly. And, and he feels protective of Jesus. So I've kind of, you know, built that picture of, of Peter up. How do you perceive Peter? Do you, what's your impression of him? Yeah, I think I'm seeing the same thing, especially because like, I don't know. I've never really looked at Peter just as Peter. You know, he's been, like you said, this moment of, you know, his denials, you know, his low moments, you know, his high moments, you know, he walked on water. But really to see kind of the full life of Peter, um, even just the snapshot, it has been interesting to know that, like you're saying, Peter probably is the leader. You know, even you see it, you know, Peter and the disciples. You know, it's Peter, every time the disciples are listed, he's first. You know, it's Peter speaking first. And no one's like, he's not interrupting anybody even. You know, whenever he's... Jesus asked a question, you know, they're probably all just looking to Peter. Right. No one else is chiming in. They're like, oh, Peter will handle this just like normal. You know, we're just here. Well, and we see that same thing, don't we? It's like even you get a room full of us that have been like a church staff. Somebody will ask a question, like a really easy question. We all kind of know the answer, but no one wants to be the one that speaks up. And we all start looking around and waiting for one of the pastors to make a move. Yeah, that's how life works, you know. That, I guess it starts in middle school, you know. <laughs> the clan mentality, you know, there, there's a leader involved. And, you know, most of the time you know who he or she is yeah. in that moment. So so Peter was the guy who was used to making sure everything went well. If we're if we're right about him, he's the guy that was that was he was the strong personality, he was the leader, he was the guy in charge, he was the first one into the boat, probably the first one out of the boat. He was the guy that that you know was responsible for the boat, you know, all that sort of stuff. 
And yet Peter had a lesson he had to learn. And I think that that's really what's going on here is that in, before Peter could be the apostle Peter who led the church, before Peter could be the guy who, uh, you know, that we see after Pentecost, before he could be that Peter, he mm. first had to reach a low point. There had to be some point at which his, his self-sufficiency, his pride, his boldness was taken from him and then replaced by something better. Um, and I think that's what we're going to be looking at today with the denials. Yeah, and you think up till this point, like you're saying, Peter has to have some humility in him if he's going to lead this church. You know, he's the guy who you know he's already been blessed by Jesus for answering the "Who do you say I am?" question correctly, and he's already been told, "Hey, Peter, you're going to be the foundation on which I build my church." You know, so if I was Peter and Jesus was telling me all this, if I was the one who was walking on the water, if I was the one who was you know being called, changed my name by Jesus himself, you know, all of these huge moments in Peter's life, you know, in order to lead this church in a posture of humility, in this posture of what, you know, Jesus is going to sacrifice himself. And in that kind of attitude, you're right, that Peter does need something to enter in that's outside of him to be able to lead that charge in a way that's not just, oh, it's all about Peter. Peter's the guy, you know, because Peter doesn't want to be the guy. Jesus is his guy. You know, I'm sitting here just thinking about this idea that you just mentioned uh, that Jesus himself changed his name. I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, we know that Jacob, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Um, are there, there's a few there, you know, Ab- Abram was changed to Abraham, friend of God, Sarai to Sarah. Um, you know, name changing is kind of a big deal, but it didn't happen all that often. God didn't change people's names all that often. Um, Yeah, we allude to that with Paul, but, you know, God doesn't change Paul's name. That's just, you know, a Roman versus, you know, Jewish saying of it. So, yeah, so really in the New Testament, really, Peter's the only one we see. Peter's the only one, yeah. That's interesting because it sort of connects him to these important figures back in the Old Testament. And you're right. Paul is the Roman version of it. Because he was the missionary to the Gentiles, you know, so they didn't want, you know, some Jew walking in with Saul that would give them all a different mindset. But Paul would have been a much easier name for them to go with. So our passage this week comes from Luke chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 47 through 62. Um, Let's jump in. Uh, It's talking about the arrest of Jesus here. And it says, and when he was still speaking and, and what was he saying at this point? What he was saying at this point is this is when he, he went off to pray by himself in the garden. He asked the disciples to, to, to wait with him and they couldn't. They kept, they fell asleep. So he comes back and he finds them sleeping. And he said, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So that's what he was saying in verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You know, we, we have a whole lot of the Judas kiss kind of thing. That's sort of become part of the lexicon of of sayings it's like you know they that's idea that that somebody close to you would betray you but what do you think that the deal is with the kiss there is that just is that just sort of a customary thing of like that's how a disciple greets his teacher or was there more to it in your mind yeah i think it's just i mean jesus is so shocked by it because that's how you'd greet a friend right back in that time you know it was a it was a kiss of greeting and here he comes masquerading almost as a friend and masquerading as a disciple but he's just sold out his master for some silver and you know it's almost demeaning in a sense for jesus i feel like which is why he's probably so shocked by it to be like oh you're coming as a friend but i know what you're doing right now this is not a friendly you know what you've just started is not a good thing and not a friendly thing you're not a disciple right now 
I mean, we certainly see that often enough in this world where somebody who you perceive to be an ally or a friend turns out not to be one. I think that's a very common thing. But I think that it's also interesting here because this whole idea of Judas leading them to Jesus sort of thing. um, I mean, obviously, he could have told them where to find Jesus, but he showed up and led them there. And I've often wondered, and this is, I'm guilty of this all the time of trying to drop myself into these little scenarios. Why did Judas <laughs> feel like he needed to take them there in person? Was that something that they put him up to? Did they say, Hey, you know what? If you're going to get the money for this, you're going to get your hands dirty. I, I'm speculating. We don't know the answer to this, but Judas could have said, Hey, he's going to be in the garden at this location about this time. You guys can find him there. It's not like they didn't know who Jesus was, but I did, th- I do think that Judas was like a little off put by the fact that he's going to have to get his hands dirty to betray yeah. Jesus. Uh, I think it's almost like a nervous thing. Like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to give you the regular disciple teacher kiss. <clears throat> that seemed like a good idea to him at the time. And Jesus is like, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And he almost called him out on it. Like, you know, stop acting like this is a, a night as usual as my disciple where you're entering in to pray with me. No, you're not praying with me. You're leading these guys in to arrest me. But yeah, that the psychology behind Judas is kind of wild. If you like, you were saying, if you want to drop yourself in, like that guilty conscience, and then going to face the man that you're betraying, it, it's like he's—you can see him kind of torn in two, almost in all of this. Like he's already started the process, and now he's just got to complete what's begun. You know, I, we don't often do very many studies about Judas. He tends to be the guy that we look at. All, we, you know, <laughs> we're going to look at Peter, but are we going to like study what about Judas? But there's something that I've always found interesting about Judas as a character in the New Testament stories is that Judas was someone who was – he was one of the disciples. That, what does that mean? That means Jesus called him and said, follow yeah. me. And and he followed Jesus and he heard Jesus' teachings. He saw Jesus' miracles. He was there for everything that motivated these other guys to say, you are the son of God. We will follow you into anything. And I guess by by pondering all that, I guess what I'm just saying is that it's it's not necessarily the case that we can expose people to all the knowledge and all the proofs and all the evidences and all the teachings, and they will automatically believe. It's one of those things that has convinced me over time that there has to be some supernatural element to somebody being drawn to faith in Christ. Because if anybody should have believed that Jesus was who he said he was, it should have been Judas. Yeah, it kind of shows you. You know, it takes a little bit of the pressure off that you don't always, you know, when you're sharing your faith, when you're, you know, with your family members who don't know Jesus or your friends, that like, hey, you're not the one who saves. Look at Judas. He was, he, he saw Jesus, you know, front, front row seat for his whole, you know, public ministry. And, you know, so who are we to say that just because, you know, we say the right things or teach the right things, you know, that's a part of people's coming to faith. But it is kind of takes off the weight that like, oh, I got to be the person to save this guy. No, because it's the spirit that saves, you know, spirit convicts, the spirit saves. And we just have to be in that right place. So it is, yeah. you're right. It is an interesting thing. You know, Paul, Paul's the one that wrote, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I've, I've always liked to tell people that means our responsibility is to read the verses accurately. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> be really good readers. Be really good readers of the word. That's the thing. So so verse 49, after this happens with Judas, it says, and when those who were around him, those would be the disciples, saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? <laughs> and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, it doesn't tell us in Luke here, but in another recording of this, it does tell us that it was Peter 
who who struck with the sword. Um, not a surprise. I'm pretty sure that Peter cut off the uh, the ear of the servant of the high priest probably trying to cut off his head i'm just going to suggest <laughs> that peter the fisherman was probably not this is not a great swordsman here ready to go um but he took a swing at it and and cut off the ear of the servant jesus's reaction to that was interesting he says no more of this and he touched his ear and healed him what's your impression when you read that yeah and it's actually it tells us it was peter and john 18 just for reference okay so it's john um, okay Thank yeah you. so john tells us that's peter and the servant's name was malchus um, but it's interesting because, you know, Peter just got, I mean, yelled at his light when I think when Jesus said, you know, get behind me, Satan, to him, you know, chapters ago in this story. You know, when Peter just could not wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus's mission here was sacrifice, not, you know, to live this life as a king on this earth, but that he's going to be killed and he's going to rise again. And I think you still see that part of Peter that really wants this savior. I don't know if it's just to, you know, defeat the Romans or whatever his attitude is, but like you said, he's highly protective of the physical Jesus right here. And Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you're still not getting the gist of why I'm here. Like, I'm here you know, I'm not being, you know, swindled right now in this garden, but like this is part of my mission that I have to be arrested, that I have to withstand an unfair trial, that I have to be crucified. And you can see Peter trying his best in all of his physical power and all of his energy to make sure that does not happen. Even if it's by sword, he'll fight off these guys to the death. But Jesus is like, stop it. This is happening. This is all a part of the plan. Yeah. And you can just see bold Peter, brazen Peter, and you can just feel the passion in him even. Like, he gets a lot of, you know, Peter takes a lot of heat for it sometimes. But man, again, he's the only one fighting for Jesus right here. He's the first to speak. He's the first to draw a sword. You know, here, Peter, again, you just see his intense love for Jesus, which is something that, you know, kind of gets overlooked because it's coming out in the wrong way. Like, Jesus obviously is like, hey, put down the sword. This is not the goal right now. But man, there's got to be something, you know, that's beautiful about Peter being like, no, I will do anything for this guy named Jesus right here. I believe it all. Yeah. That's a great point. You know, the fact that, that, uh, Peter is picked on, uh, and he is picked on sometimes, especially by Protestants. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, Catholics are very careful not to pick on Peter. He was their first pope <laughs> in their mind. Um, but, but Protestants talk about, you know, the denials. They talk about, uh, and when they talk about Peter walking on water, what's the thing they focus on? Well, Peter's faith failed in he the fell. midst of the wind. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like that, you know, little faith. And when I did the study notes for that week, I was like, I just want you to understand what that little faith accomplished. This guy <laughs> got out of a boat in the pitch black in the middle of a hurricane, basically, because Jesus said, come. I'm like, I'd like to have that little faith. You know, it's like that's you know, whatever you want to say about his little faith. He was yeah. bold. I mean, Give me half of that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'll take I'd, it. I'd love to. I'd love to have that. So, so um, in this case, obviously, you know, Peter's still not understanding what Jesus has been saying about. Look, I have to suffer many things. I've got to die. I've come here. This has come. This is all part of the plan. What what's written about me? It says earlier in this chapter, what the things that are written about me in the scriptures must be fulfilled. Um, and it, I think it just drives home the point again of how much these guys did not understand the Old Testament <laughs> and what the Old Testament was was talking about in terms of God's suffering servant. Why do you think that is? I mean, do you feel like was it is this just a cultural thing um or because and let me just let me explain what I'm getting at here. I've always felt like um to be around Jesus would be to have that sense that this was somebody who was really 
truly powerful. I mean, the, the stories from the Old Testament about the power of God, um, Elijah calling down fire on Mount Carmel and, um, all of these amazing things that happened in the old, you know, part Moses parting the Red Sea and the 10 plagues and all these stories of God's power absolutely conquering God's enemies. I would feel like if I was around Jesus, I would really be expecting that to be what's going to happen. So hmm. I don't necessarily think that I blame them entirely. Like it's not, we, a lot of times you say, Oh, the Jews were looking for a conquering Messiah. Yeah, I get that. We, that's true. They were. And that's one of the reasons why they missed a lot of what Jesus had to say to them, because they were looking for a different Messiah. They didn't want a Messiah that was going to come and die for them. They wanted a Messiah that was going to come and fight for them. But they didn't understand that by dying, he was fighting for them. He was yeah. purchasing them. He was defeating sin and death for them. They didn't understand that. But I guess my question is, why is that? You know, Do you feel like it's a... a is it a cultural thing? Is it a they didn't read their Old Testament enough thing? Is it what do you, what's your sense on that? What's your gut reaction? Yeah, I think it's a lot of those things. And obviously, like you said, we we don't blame the cultural things, but we look into that a lot. Like, and how much would these guys have known the Old Testament? I think they would have known it basically. You know, they would have had the basic teachings of it. But you know, they were fishermen. You know, that they they weren't going down a religious route. Um, but then also, I think. Just thinking about them being surrounded by Jesus day after day, they couldn't imagine something better if he ever went away, which I think I fully understand. Like if you're there, you're seeing him heal blind people, lame people are walking, you know, he's breaking bread and it's feeding hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people. Man, I just don't think they could ever think anything better. Like they just wanted this moment to last forever, which I think I understand. You know, it's like, this can't get better. So even when Jesus is like, hey, it's good that I leave here because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, which is a far better thing for you guys on this earth, man. I think if I was in their shoes, I'd been like, yeah, right. Hey, Jesus, let's just stay here. We got a good thing going. <laughs> like, they, it's like unimaginable to them. And I think I get that side of it, the personal side. And I think we make the disciples like all of these things, but we forget that like the intimacy they must have had just with Jesus as a friend and as a human, much less as a savior and Lord and as this miracle worker, but just they spent every day with this guy. They traveled with him. They, they were here for him. They, they were talking to him. They were, you know, I just feel like, man, let's not ruin this, Jesus. Let's just keep this thing going. I think, I think that's what Peter's fighting for in a sense. You know, you could probably break it down culturally better, but I think part of this is Man, Peter's a human being that really, really loves his friend Jesus and doesn't get that in order to be the savior of the world that he has to die. To be the savior of Peter, he has to die. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good take on it because I, you know, we have this thing of for 2000 years, we've been studying this, these stories. Um, and, Certain, you know, maybe, maybe not for all 2000, but the technicality and the precision and the, the, uh, what do I want, what am I looking for here? Like academic approach we yeah. bring to it now. It's all about, you know, well, we're going to pick this apart and, well, obviously Peter hadn't read the scroll of Isaiah, you know, <laughs> three, three turns from the left where these words were on the page. But we tend to forget sometimes that these people were living this. These were human beings living this. And like you say, these guys lived with Jesus every day. They saw Jesus do these amazing things every day. A guy who they considered to be a close personal friend had demonstrated that he could do amazing things. Why would you want that guy to go away? 
Yeah, he healed his mother-in-law. He's like, what if my mother-in-law gets sick again? Yeah. Who am I going to go to, Jesus? Like, there's real personal things. They broke bread together. They had, think about just every meal. And even when, like, you know, the book of John says, hey, we didn't even write everything else down. Like, a lot of other stuff happened that we couldn't even fit in this volume because of how great it would be. So imagine everything that we don't even know about. Like, we have enough. We have the sufficiency of it. But, man, these guys just saw it all. Yeah. So um, so then getting back to the story here in verse 52, then Jesus, he turns to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him. And he asked them a question. He says, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? So Jesus' point is like, look, you, you know, this isn't a battle about swords. Um, you know, we, we, we do get caught up sometimes in this idea that when is it right to use the sword? I mean, that we, you and I were talking before we started the mics on about earlier in this chapter, there's a passage that's kind of difficult to understand where Jesus is talking about swords. And, <laughs> and it's hard to understand exactly what he's getting at there. There's a bunch of possible explanations, but we can see from this here that Jesus is saying, this is not about swords. You know, we're not going to use our sword to defend ourselves. You don't need to use your swords and clubs to take me away. Yeah. You know, you're, you're coming here as if there's going to be a fight and there's not going to be any fight. And he explains why. Verse 53, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. You know, I'm, I'm imagining I'm Peter standing there because the next thing that's going to happen in the, in the, as the story flows is the actual scenario of the denial. Okay, so as far as I know from this account here that's the last thing Peter hears Jesus say. Yeah. This is your hour and the power of darkness. And then they grab him and they lead him away. Can you imagine what that would feel like? I mean, you, if, you, if you were Peter, right, you're this bold guy. You're this guy that's ready to die for Jesus. You whip out your sword. You've been practicing. You know, <laughs> you've been practicing your sword cuts. You take a good swing at Malchus there. You manage to knock off an ear. Jesus tells you, no, no, no. And he heals the guy. <laughs> And then he tells them, this is your time. This is the power of darkness. And then you see Jesus led away. Can just you imagine what that crushing. would feel like? Yeah. Yeah. Just no, yeah, no hope. You're in the utter darkness. They walk out with all the light and Jesus and you just, you're just shaking your head. Everyone's, and like we were talking about, everyone's looking at you. Hey, what do we do now, Peter? Yep. Hey, Jesus is gone. Our, the leader of the leader is gone. So Peter, what's our game plan here? And you, you know, you're just trying to manage everyone else's emotions and expectations when you barely know what to feel or think yourself. Like just a real, just crushing moment. Yeah, that's a great point that you just made. There is that their first thing is they're all going to look to Peter. I mean, these other guys that are there, they saw the same things, they heard the same things, and you could just imagine them all looking at Peter. What are we doing now? Um, and so, <laughs> and so, what does Peter do? What Peter does. As he follows along, verse 54, it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So a couple things I want to point out here, right, is that Peter's following them at a distance. Do you hear about anything about the other 10 guys? No. It's, <laughs> it's only Peter that has the guts to follow him. So again, you know, we were just talking earlier about that little faith that got him to get out of the boat in the middle of that storm. Peter was crushed, maybe even more so than the rest of those disciples. But he was the one who would at least follow along to see what was going to happen. He's following at a distance. He's 
chasing after them. He's not going to try to stop them. He's not going to get involved. He's not pulling out his sword again, but he's also not running away. Yeah. Yeah, And he gets no credit for that. You know, like you said, Protestants, we love to bash Peter and just, you know, pick out all of his insecurities. And we love to talk about the denials, but I have literally never thought about, oh, he actually had to be somewhere close to Jesus in order to deny him. Like, you're right, he's following him. He's the only one there. He's, he's just trying to be like, okay, I can't fight these people. Jesus already told me not to. <laughs> you know, what are my other options? Well, I guess I'll just tag along and see what takes place. But yeah, everyone else is gone, deserted. Yeah. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, verse 45, so that they, this again, this is going to be talking about the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders. In other words, this is a hostile crowd. By <laughs> they kindled a fire, it doesn't mean, oh, the disciples showed up and built a fire and Jesus and Peter sat down with his buddies. This is Peter went down and sat down among the people who took Jesus away. Again, that takes some courage. Yeah. I'm looking at this and we're, we're coming up to the point where Peter is going to deny Jesus and yet I'm sitting here stunned at the man's courage. I, wouldn't, I don't know that I could have done that. I'll be honest with you. If it, <laughs> I, you know, do you, imagine Will Bushman in the no. garden. Would you be the one that followed? I don't know that I would be. No, think about you're sitting right next to your boy Malchus. You just cut off his ear. You think Malchus is happy you're still there, still following around? You know, like they they just saw you pull out the sword, Peter. They probably got a special eye on you as well, knowing that, okay, follower of Jesus for sure. Well, he's also kind of brazen and he makes, you know, some some stupid decisions. You know, he has one sword. We have a bunch of swords. What is this guy going to do? Yeah, so hostile crowd to say the least. Yeah. So he's sitting down among them. Then verse 56, it says, um, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. So again, folks, I want you to enter into that moment. You're Peter. You have just seen this happen. Jesus has been taken away by these people. You're, you're, you're not sure what's going to happen next, but you know it's not going to be good. You know it's not going to be, hey, everything's going to stay the same and Jesus is going to stay with us. You know something has happened here that's going to put you into a, a very difficult situation, but you had the courage to follow along to see what's going to happen. Now you've had the courage to get up and sit down among this hostile crowd seated around the fire, you like kind of walk up and just sort of sit down, hoping no one's going to notice you, and suddenly someone starts studying you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to get the right right light from the fire, making sure she's not wrong. You know, he's like probably rubbing dirt on his face, pulling the cloak up, something. He's like, you know, stop looking at me. He's got his hood on, you know. That's, it has to be this moment. And I'm sort of kind of guessing because, again, this is a culture, right, a male-dominated culture. This is the patriarchy, first-century Judaism. She says this man was also with him, verse 57, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And that's it. It's like she walks away. She doesn't argue. Yeah. Um, and Peter's probably thinking, oh, good. I, I dodged a bullet here. You know, it's like this, uh, if he knew what a bullet was, he knew he had dodged it. <laughs> Narrow. <laughs> it's like, hey, you know what? The girl thought she recognized me, but he spoke to her. Woman, I do not know him. And by using that, you know, it's like that sort of forceful, she's not going to bring it up again. It's like, she's a servant girl. She's done with him. She's walking away. And he's probably thinking, all right, we're almost home. Yeah, I'm in the clear. You're almost home. But then, verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, 
man, I am not. Well, now <laughs> it's not a woman. Now there's a man that's noticed him. Yeah. So kind of on an equal footing, and he's expecting an argument, but he still doesn't get there, doesn't get an argument. You know, it's like, okay, all right, fine. I don't know. Yeah, that's great. I'm not with him. And then it tells us in verse 59, after an interval of about an hour, that had to be the longest 60 minutes. I mean, he's he's already – I have to think that his mind has already maybe started to go back to what Jesus said earlier, yeah. um, where Jesus had predicted that he was going to deny him. He's thinking – you know, well, I didn't really deny him that time. I just said I wasn't one of them. I didn't say I didn't know Jesus. I just said I wasn't one of them, whatever one of them meant. You know, he may be working his, ra- I'd be working my rationalizations. Well, I didn't really deny him here. Um, but he just has to be, I mean, just sitting there for that long period of time. I guess I'm trying to get people to understand what sort of an emotional state Peter had to be in when. Yeah. This, when this final thing happens and he and he makes this ultimate denial, um, I mean, obviously Peter knew who Jesus was. Peter knew that he was one of them. So Peter knew that what he was saying was not true. I'm thinking that if you were Peter, are you, what are you, what are your your odds that you're going to survive the night? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to assume that they're looking around everybody. Up. I'm shocked Peter's there after denial number one. You know, if I was. <laughs> You know, if you're sitting there, you're already hostile. You got this little girl. I, I, I don't know if she could be. He says woman. You know, the Bible says girl. So who knows how old she is? But like, you know, you got her, like you said, going against all culture and speaking to him first. You know, much less, you know, kind of saying like, hey, you're with this guy. Man, I'll be like, okay. If if she understands this, then a guy with a sword has to, you know, a guy with actual authority has to know who I am. You know, so again, the fact that he is in the courtyard of the high priest as Jesus is about to withstand trial, as he's getting asked time and time again. You know, he doesn't understand baseball, but, you know, after two strikes, I would have been like, okay, third one, I'm going to be out. <laughs> so, like, you got to understand, like, I don't know, maybe his emotional, obviously his emotional state is probably, you know, way off the deep end, but, man, he's sticking through all of this. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some real courageousness even in his denials, you know. Yeah. Just to be there and be like, oh, I remember Jesus said the third one. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure no one ever speaks to me again. So then I can't deny him that third time. Right. So he's still he's got, he's there for about that hour. He's got the hood up. He's not answering anybody. Um, and then it says after an interval of about an hour, verse 59, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was also with him <laughs> for he, too, is a Galilean. But Peter said, verse 60, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Um, The next verse, verse 61, to me feels like one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and whipped, wept bitterly. I tell you what, let's look at let's let's go jump back up a few verses just to look at what it was that he remembered him saying. This is up in uh, begins in verse thirty one, where Jesus foretells. This is the same chapter, Luke twenty two. Back up in verse thirty one, he he foretells Peter's denial. And it, uh, in verse thirty one, Jesus is speaking. He says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. For I have prayed for you, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. There's a key word here in verse 32. And when you have turned again, Mm. strengthen your brothers. Um, You talked about that in this week's personal worship. That was kind of a big pivotal thing for you. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, because I know about the denials, but then you forget, like, you know, Jesus tells them. And even at this point where we're up to in this verse, it says, when you have turned, you know, again, Peter doesn't even know what's going to happen. Jesus has yet to actually foretell what his turning will be that he has to come back from. And you just see even Jesus just with his love for Peter that's like, hey, there's going to be purpose in this trial. Yeah, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to weep bitterly. You know, you're going to be in a real dark place after this in a little while. But, you know, there's purpose in this because you're going to strengthen your brothers because of this, yeah. because of what you're going through. And you can even see, you know, we haven't gotten there, but Peter's going to be like, oh, I'll go with you to prison or to death. You still have prideful Peter who's going to try to do it all on his own. But, you know, there's a real humility that's about to be reckoned to him because he needs to lead and, you know, he needs a humble leader to lead the church. But it is just a beautiful thing that even Jesus, as he's about to give this somber foretelling, this somber prophecy, that he's like, hey, I've prayed for you for your future faith, but even I'm doing this purposefully. I know what you're going to do. I'm here in all of this, and it's going to be for the good of those around you. You know, it's almost kind of like a lesson and a charge before you even know what happens. Yeah. Yeah, and this is um, you. You mentioned this also in the study notes this week in verse thirty-one, where Satan is demanding to have you that he might sift you like wheat. That that is plural. That basically, um, although Jesus is talking to Peter directly, he starts off Simon, Simon, behold, he's telling Peter, "Hey, you know what? Satan wants all of you. Satan wants to. You know, this isn't like a focus just on you, Peter. Although I'm talking to you and you're going to answer me." What Satan wants is Satan's desire is to test every believer that way. That's his desire. It's not, you know, it wasn't focused just on Peter. Um, but then he singles Peter out, um, which those of us, by the way, that are King Jamesy people would know because the thee, thou, and thy is the second person singular. See, <laughs> there's a purpose for it. There was, oh, you know, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith may not fail. As soon as he shifts to the thee and the thy in the King James, you know, oh, now he's talking directly to Peter. But I do think that it's, it's, it's interesting that the answer to Satan's desire to test their group was that their leader needed to go through this test so that he could strengthen mm. the others. Um, I think that that's, you know, it's it's something that, that uh, when we aspire to a position of leadership in ministry, um, and it's something that, you know, I mean, I'm a layman. I work for the church, uh, but I'm not, a, I'm not ordained. You're in the process to become an ordained minister. You're, yes, I am. You're going through that. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, this idea that, that there's going to be trials that are sort of specifically come upon, you know, you guys, you know, you who are pastors, you who are, who are, who are the leaders. And to, to, you know, certainly to us as, that are elders and, and officers of the church and, and even just longtime believers that have, that have been active in the church. That, but, it, but I think especially yeah. those of you who are leaders, um, have to understand that there are things that you're going to go through for the purpose of being able to strengthen everybody around you. Um, that's probably not on the brochure, is it? <laughs> no, no. They don't lead with that in seminary. They're like, hey, you want to know what this is for? <laughs> 
And you understand Satan's goal is to wreak havoc. So it's easy. To, the easiest way to take out an organization is to take out its leader. The easiest way to take out a church is to take out its leader. I mean, look at what we've had you know, in South Florida and just across the country just with church leadership and moral failures and all that and collapses. You know, what, what can Satan do on a multiple multiplying level? with just one guy and one failure. So you got to, you know, if Peter is the foundation of the church, big C, then you got to realize that he's probably has a target on his back and a pretty big one for Satan himself. Yeah. But it's also true that somebody who has been through this and whose faith has not failed, that mm. they've been restored, um, that that person is then able to do things that can strengthen others. Yeah. Um, you know, we all love second chances. Peter gets a second chance here with what's going to, with what happens after, uh, and have, I haven't looked at the preaching schedule just yet, but I'm assuming we get to the restoration part of things. I hope we do. No. I hope we don't leave Peter hanging leave out him there. weeping bitterly. That's it. Yeah, we, he weeps bitterly and runs out, and that's the last we hear Peter. Now, we have s- some more weeks to go yet, so we'll see Peter on the other side of that restoration. But, um, I, you know, there's just a sense in which somebody who has been tested and who has been through it, uh, that that gives them the ability to strengthen the people around them. Um I think it's. I think some of it's because we we see what people have been through and we identify with that. But I also think that there's a sense in which, from the from the ministry side, from the pastor's side, um, there's a sense in which you understand that there's an there isn't there is an other side to this. There is an end to this, um, and I think that's a valuable thing. I think that you know. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know how you are. I am someone who it's easier for me to bear up under something if I have an idea that this isn't going to last forever. Yeah, and that you know someone else has gone through it. You know, they made it out alive. Like, why can't I? Right. And and even if and we've Sam and I have talked about this at times. Even if the answer doesn't come in this life, you know, we have that promise from God that you know what, at some point this is going to be over because we're just not going to have to be here to go through anything anymore. You know, at some point we're in heaven and the trials stop. Uh, you know, when we're there, there are no more. There are no more trials. There are no more. You know, difficult situations in heaven. Once you get there, everything is okay. So at some point there is another side to this. Um, but when you have the opportunity, like Peter, once he was restored, he was able to live up to his name, to be that rock that everybody was able to lean on. Um, when Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death, I find that interesting, too, because Jesus started talking about this, this symbol of crucifixion and tying it in with discipleship. Um, so when they say something, when Peter says something like that, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death, I mean, obviously, he's not, he's not, you know, he's talking about, I'm going to fight to the death, you know, you and me, Jesus, back to back, we got our swords out, we're taking Mm -hmm. on the, you know, this is Sparta, I'm kicking the guy down the well, we're taking on the three, 300 of us against thousands of them, and we're going to win. But it's kind of ironic, because in the end, that's what Jesus is saying, it's going to take to follow him is to die to ourselves. Um, It's what he calls us to do. And yet, you know, Peter wasn't ready to do that in the way that was needed. Like he was, he was ready to fight to die in a in a glorious, heroic, physical sense, but not in a humble denying of self sense. Yeah, and even we're going to see Peter does die for Jesus in the end. It's much different than like you're saying. He expected it to be in this moment. You know, you have almost you can imagine like young Peter here. Then you know the Peter writes the epistles is is the wise, humble sage that is coming back. But you know he is going to lose his life. But yeah, in this moment, it seems like Peter 
every time just gets really close to what Jesus is talking about, it seems. Like he gets like kind of up there, but just like a distorted meaning of it. And he's really all for that. And he wants it to be true. But yeah, he is not expecting what is going to come. Yeah. And that is, uh, I think that's also another thing that I identify with a lot is this idea that I almost get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> Peter was a guy who almost got it. Man, that talk that that's descriptive of a lot of us. Yeah, and he's trying to get it. It's not due to lack of effort. You know, it's just that everything is so backwards from the human mindset at this moment. Like you're saying, we have two thousand years to think about everything Jesus said. We have the, some of the smartest guys in the world explain it to us, and we still don't get it. So imagine being the first ones to hear it, and just it's totally backwards. Everything you've ever heard, every life that's ever been told to you, you know, everyone that you've ever seen live, and here comes this guy who flips everything upside down, and you're supposed to figure it out? Probably not. Yeah, and on top of that, you're you know you have a bunch of people that are you know like you said. Malchus is sitting, you know, down the road from Peter, <laughs> rubbing his ear, thinking, "What are you doing here?" Yeah, you know that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a tough situation, um, but it is that moment at which Peter, you know, it says that when Peter denies him, that the Lord turns and looked at Peter. Um, I, I've heard people describe this moment different ways in different sermons. Do you do you think? That this was like a moment where they like locked eyes across the courtyard. How do you picture it in your mind? I do. I don't. It seems almost like movie theatrical when you think about it like that. So I don't want to go down that route. But yeah, from what I'm reading, it seems like, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. It does seem like this intimate moment that yeah. you know we see it all the time with Peter. Just this Jesus intense focus on Peter. All of the stuff is going on around him. You know, Jesus, you know, Jesus understands what he's going through right now. He's about to go through. And yet again, he takes time to look at Peter right in the eyes. And you can imagine it's not a look of hate or anger. You know, Peter obviously walks away and weeps bitterly. But man, it doesn't seem like a condemning look. It seems like, okay, I knew this was going to happen. I told you this was going to happen. And here we are kind of look. Yeah, I think that I I think the same thing. I've sort of imagined it as sort of a compassionate gaze. It's a it's a sort of just I think he just looked at him, you know? I don't think he glared at him. I don't think that, you know, he he uh he frowned at him or scowled at him. I think he just looked at him. Um and I do think that that was the moment at which Peter was like, "Wow, that was number 3." Yeah, because what's the one thing that you don't you- don't want to happen when something like that happens. You don't want to be seen. You just want to hide. You want to cower. You just want to be, you know, cover yourself up in shame and not let anything else get you. But, you know, Peter, maybe his darkest moment thus far, maybe his, you know, deepest moment of shame and guilt. There Jesus is looking at him, which, you know, could feel like it adds to it. But I, I like you said, I feel like it is compassion. Yeah. So, so we've come to the, to the end of that sort of crushing moment. Peter has, uh, Peter has denied him three times. The Lord has looked at him. Peter, it says that he he went out and he wept bitterly. Um, he's obviously uh, he's very discouraged in this moment. Um, I always like to try to look for a positive takeaway on these messages. You know, it's like how do you find something positive at the moment here? Um, when it says Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, well, the saying of the Lord wasn't just that before the rooster crows you will deny me three times, but the saying of the Lord was that he would turn again and he would strengthen his brothers. In other words, there's purpose in trials, um, 
And and when we face trials, we can know that. There was a purpose in this trial, and the purpose in this trial was that Peter would come to the end of himself, um, mm. that he would realize that, that, that whatever, however he went forward from here, it was going to be something where it wasn't going to be Peter that did it. It was going to be the Holy Spirit. It was going to be something else, and that there's going to be that moment or that point where Jesus restores us where you know where we where we are brought back to him um you're you're younger than I am you're a lot <laughs> younger than I am um but you know so I've been I've been a I mean I've gone to church my whole life I've been a Christian by personal decision since I was 14 um and I'm 60 now so that's a long time and there have been times in my life where I have really fallen away but this idea of being restored back is something that I have experienced um, in your lifetime. Do you have a story about this also? It's probably not as massive. You know, there's not probably one moment that it feels like everything went away. And, you know, kind of my story is growing up in a church and being raised in a Christian home and going to a Christian school and being surrounded by all of that. But to say that there wasn't moments of, of failing and and, and doubt and just confusion would be untrue but i think in those moments there is something like the same thing with peter is there's this like burden that's lifted off of you you know where it's not you and the your performance that makes jesus love you it's not me and my you know when i actually see myself and i'm honest with myself in the mirror in a way that i would you know not let anyone else know and peter's was kind of put on full display for all of us for thousands of years uh, which is wild because we wouldn't want that (laughs) written about us yeah but there is just this burden that's lifted and this humility that comes from that that's saying like Man, it's it's not about me in the end. That's not you know that you know there are commands to obey and the, and there's things to follow and that there is maturity that comes from that. But you know Jesus wasn't angry with Peter because he failed. You know if anything he he was compassionate and he was gentle with Peter in all of this. And I think we all need that. You know whether we're leading something or, or just you know knowing who Jesus is that this moment of man Jesus loves me at my worst. Like, it's not like I got to clean myself up, put on my bandages, and then maybe present myself holy and broken to Jesus. It's just like this moment that like, okay, Jesus, it's I can't save myself. I can't do it. I, I'm an utter failure in many aspects in this life, and I can't break through many of these things, and I need someone else to enter in to do that. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus is creating in all of us in those moments, and I think that's what Jesus was creating Peter, like... Hey, Peter, it's not going to be because of your strength or because of your oratory skills and I'm going to build my church on you. It's because you're about to be this man who loves me desperately and is broken by your failure that's big enough to where you weep bitterly. And, you know, he comes back and he's a different guy, it seems like. It's still, you know, this bold and brazen Peter, but there's he's bold and brazen not because of who he is, but because of after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the restoration in the book of Acts, you see this Peter who is so in love with Jesus and is so put on mission that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that is how people get saved. You know, you see this kind of switch in this humble Peter. (laughs) And I feel that in my, you know, man, I feel like I'm not in my late 20s. What am I, 27? (laughs) And I I can slowly, you know, 
the pride that just so natural at this age is just slowly <laughs> being beaten out of me, it seems, uh, which I'm thankful for. But there is this moment that you have to realize, okay, Jesus brings this kingdom in via humility. You know, he's the suffering servant. He's the God who could have got himself off that cross, but he doesn't, that he sacrifices humbly. And that's what his people look like. And that's what his leaders look like. Yeah. Well, that is a good word, uh, and it's a positive note to end on. So I think that's what we're going to do, uh, folks. Uh, thank you, Will, for sitting in with me this week. It was it was really a pleasure to have you, and uh, I enjoyed. I you know, it's I I really enjoy your perspective on things. Uh, you know, I I think that sometimes people are like Will, the youth guy, but <laughs> but those of us that have been listening to you preach on Sunday mornings, you know, we know there's more than just Will, the youth guy, there, um, and it's been a lot of fun uh, seeing you become you know, just better and more mature as a communicator and a teacher. Uh, and it's going to be, I think, I think God's going to do amazing things through your ministry at some point because it's just so genuine. Um, and, and there's really a lot of depth and I really, I really have appreciated what you've done with study notes and what you've done teaching on Sunday mornings and stuff. It's, it's great. Well, thank you so much for all those kinds of words and thanks for having me. It's good to be here on the out of water podcast. Well, folks, so we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, that it's been profitable for you. Um, if you would like to correspond with us, because something that we've said today, maybe you just want to send a note and tell Will that he did a good job, and you send it to out of water at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com, and I'll forward it to Will. <laughs> That's also where you can get all the back issues of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com forward slash out of water, as well as with Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on our free Rio Vista Church smartphone app. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week when Pastor Sam will be back from vacation, and we will be taking once again a look at the life of Peter. We look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.